0: Today is February 7th, 2016. The title of today's sermon is Fine Adjustments. Fine Adjustments. Um, as I was preparing for today, uh, Olivia, you can come on up here. So it just, I've been thinking on a few things. I almost called today's sermon um, Absolute Surrender. Uh, and, and, and I think that's appropriate. But really, I believe that. Um, What I don't want you to get out of today's message is that I don't think that you are trying to surrender. What I what I felt like the more accurate way to say is, how about we go ahead and we say that we're going to go after the Lord with all of our hearts. Can everybody agree to that? And if you're here and you can't say that, then you're going to have an opportunity before we leave here today to make sure that that's the case. I'm not pronouncing on you some uh, status with the Lord, that is between you and Him, but I'm going to say that this is a group of people, what you've walked into know it or not, is a group of people who are very serious about doing exactly what the Word of God has to say. Um, From a book called Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray, which is in our library, I do believe. I believe it is back there. He says this, "...and to every waiting heart that will make the sacrifice and give up everything and give time to cry and pray to God, the answer will come. The blessing is not far off. Our God delights in helping us. He will enable us... To perfect, not in the flesh, but in the spirit, what was begun in the spirit. When I started thinking about this today, um, I started thinking about a few very simple things, and this is—I don't intend for this to be a science lesson, but in our in our world, the distance between the Earth and the Sun is ninety-three million miles away. Okay, it's approximately ninety-three million miles. In that distance between the earth and the sun, if the sun was 92 million miles from earth, we get toasted completely. If we're 94 million miles away from each other, we turn into an ice planet. So God has some things that he's got adjusted and he set it exactly perfectly. You know that 99% of the energy that comes to the earth comes from the sun, 99%. It's something crazy. I don't even know what all these numbers mean. 600 million tons of energy every second that comes to the earth. Beyond my comprehension, I can assure you. That the amount of input, the amount of output that the sun gives is 0.001%. One tenth of 1%, it stays constant over the course of years and years and years. It is the smallest fraction because if it changed an entire percent, The earth could not handle it. The earth would literally be destroyed. It would either dry up from not enough energy or it would not be able to contain the energy that was given. The earth itself is set at a certain degree tilt. (laughs) (laughs) Almost like your little teapot or something, right? (laughs) It's 23.5% in case you're wondering. 23.5%. 23 and percent. So as the earth is there, we've got this distance from the sun that keeps us alive. We've got a tilt that allows us to actually have tides that change and therefore that has seasons. If it wasn't 23 percent, 23 and percent, if it was 22 and percent or 24 and percent, we don't actually have seasons. We have the earth that it changes its rotation and we have a hot side and a cold side of the planet. We have everything about as the, moon, as, as the earth is there. What do you have? You have a moon. Do you know that 60% of our gravity actually comes from the moon? 60%, 40% from the sun. What, what am I trying to do? Am I, am I trying to get you to be an astrophysicist here? No, I, I'm saying that I could do this all day long. I can do this with the composition of our air. I can do this with our atmosphere of how it filters all of that 600 million tons of energy every second to make sure that when it gets to us, it is the right amount, that we we can enjoy a nice sunny day. What I'm saying is, is that God has this thing so finely tuned, why would we think that we could walk around in our life and be arbitrary about our walk with the Lord if the very things that He has set forth is precise beyond comprehension. Thank you. It's as if there were a thousand dials and all the dials all interrelate, and if any one of them were off, we're not alive. There is nothing on the planet to look at. He is a big God. Every part of this, the weight of the hydrogen atom actually matters in the grand scheme of things. I'm not smart enough to tell you what that is. I'm not smart enough to tell you why that it is that. I'm just smart enough to go, He makes it, and it matters. The same God who does that kind of construction expects that we will constantly adjust to what His plan is. On Wednesday night, if you missed it, I encourage you to go online. message was called, It's Plum Sum." We talked about being a plumb line in the hand of the Lord. There is a righteous standard that none of us are allowed to move from. The better perspective is, is we have to be constantly measuring ourselves against it, so we can realign. If God has this, and it is so finely tuned that within very, very small parameters they all have to be accurate for us to even take our next breath. But let's think about it. That, that's, that's global, right? This is these huge astrophysics things that we're talking. Let's talk about. Let's, let's get it down a little bit more. What about our calendars? What do you do when a calendar gets out of whack? You add a what? You had a leap day, which is at the end of this month, right? February 29th. You know what that is? That's a correction. (laughs) Because we do not take 365 days to get around the planet, to get around the sun, rather. It actually takes 365 and a little bit, about a quarter. Okay? (laughs) A smidge, right? I like that word. A smidge. Geography. If you go due north. You understand if you get a compass, what a what a compass is telling you magnetic north. If you're going from here to your neighbor's house, probably not a big deal. If you start making cross-continental trips, if you go by your compass only and never make the corrections that are mathematically derived, you will never end up where you want to go. You will have a compass and be looking at it and not ever get where you want to go because you have to make adjustments. In music, welcome to my music nerddom, right? Welcome back to Music Nerds 101. In music, it's called Pythagoras' Comma. Same guy who did all the math stuff, Pythagoras' Theory, he has a comma, apparently. (laughs) And his comma is an adjustment for music so that you can play in any key with equal tonality with equal pleasing to the ear, he adjusted everything that's actually done on a piano. It's technically wrong. But they've made small adjustments and they've spread it out over an entire keyboard so you don't hardly notice it and you can play in any key at any time. We now have to have atomic clocks because our clocks, no matter how well the Swiss or anyone else makes a watch, it cannot stay accurate for a long, for a long period of time. If God cares that much to put things on a precise order and then even our society has to learn how to correct back to it. If you're on a flight from here, from from Los Angeles to New York, thousands, thousands of times you have to correct your course. Now we have computers that do most of it most of the time. The pilots are there to make sure that nothing goes wrong. For the most part, I'm not overly simplifying because they have to learn how to do it. But really it makes constant corrections. We're not talking about like a... I I was trying to think of the parameters that we have. Um, I'm not talking about like a batting average. And and if you're not uh, into athletics, then let me explain very briefly. And In professional baseball, in any kind of baseball, if you hit the ball three out of every ten times, you bat 300. Right? That's the way they call it in baseball. If you bat three out of every ten you're actually an excellent baseball player. So if you fail seven times out of ten, you're really pretty good. The last time that anybody hit the ball more than four times out of ten in a year was about sixty years ago. For a season, no one's ever done that for their course of their career. I'm not talking about having a baseball kind of uh, parameters here of correcting ourselves. Three out of ten. Woo! I'm the man. I'm awesome. What happens if you use that standard and, oh, I don't know, say you're a surgeon? Whoa. Everybody's like, wait, 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 wait. We just nominated that guy to the Hall of Fame. You, we're going were gonna to sue for malpractice. What's your standard of correction? You think about it more like a baseball player? Look, every once in a while, I, I get it Right? I mean, that, that prophecy three weeks ago, you remember that one? Right on the mark. Great. Would you miss seven since then? Well, we're a church that wants you to prophesy, by the way. We want you to use every, every single gift that the Holy Spirit can give us. And, everybody say and. And. We have to be accountable We have to (laughs) auto-correct. We have to self-correct. We have to find out where his mark is and come back to it. And if you give a prophecy and it's wrong, admit it, (laughs) repent, and move on. Get in the Word and try it again the next time. Why? Because we expect as pastors that there's going to have to be a correction factor that goes on. What we're trying to do is say, Hey, let's let's get the main things down why do we why do you guys do worship the way you do it's because we're trying to give you time to correct <laughs> and me too we're trying to give it time to go uh, i'm gonna be i'm gonna be very honest with you and speak to you from a pastoral heart everything that the lord wanted to do during the worship service today he did not accomplish in us let, let me re, let me rephrase that we did not respond to the lord in a full capacity to what he wanted to do today during worship That's from a pastor's heart. I'm telling you exactly what went on today. There's still unfinished business, and we had to figure out, do we keep going with this? Or do we move on and presume and know that the word that God gave us as a, as a pastoral staff can maybe help us to get to the rest of the way? Maybe there's some fine adjustments that we're going. Maybe you heard the words that were given today went like, Lord, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just don't see how that relates to my life. Maybe your span of correction is a little bit too wide for us, and today that's why we've taught on the message today. We're going to get down and make some fine adjustments. Amen. 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 I have one picture for you, just talking about controls and getting everything adjusted according to the right. This is this is a Cessna control panel. All these things have to be played against each other. They all have to be paid attention to simultaneously. It's like when you're first driving, right? First driving, your hands at, I don't know, whatever it is, 10 and 2, 9 and 6, whatever it is now. Back in my day, it was 10 and 2, right? Turn off the radio. After you drive for a while, you're not looking at the dials. You're talking on the phone, drinking coffee, eating a sandwich, you know. What happens? You start ignoring some of the dials, right? You're like, eh, it's fine. It's fine. My car didn't blow up. It's fine. It's fine. Right? So I have, another, I have another picture for you. This one I thought was uh, kind of true to life, and, it, and it, it spoke to me deeply in my heart. Um, so um, <laughs> in case you can't see it, uh, the top half is the way that a man is wired. There's an on and off switch. And then the woman... I don't don't even know what all that means. Um, And hence the illustration. illustration. (laughs) Huh? What? Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. Thank you, Susan. You know what I found out in my life? I found that no one starts off presuming the worst. Saul did not start off as king and go, you know what I hope? <laughs> I hope in just a short amount of time, I'm completely out of God's will. No one starts off a marriage and, and you're walking down the aisle and both look just dapper. Here, the man in his tux, the woman in a beautiful gown, and, and all the flowers are right, and all the lights are just right, and the, the environment, the ambiance, is just perfect. Nobody in that moment, as they're holding hands and thinking of their future, looks at each other and goes, you know, I hope in a few years we're disgusted with each other every time we look at each other. I, I hope we can't stand to be in the same room one day with you. That's never... Those aren't the vows that we make. We're saying, till death do us part. We're saying, we're going to love you for the rest. We're going to love you with everything that we are. But you know what happens? is people do get to those places. I don't know any pastor, I've never known a pastor, who starts off and says, you know what, I hope I get uh, wounded. I hope I learn how to just kick sheep right in the face. You know, I really hope that I can become terrible at, I, I really hope that one day I can just hate my life. I've never known anyone to start off that way. But I have known ministers who go through and they get so battered and so worn, and so broken, because even in those places, there wasn't enough course correcting that went on to keep their heart pure before the Lord. Your pastors here, your elders, we have this saying, and it's, it's a silly saying. You might hear us say it every once in a while, best job I ever had. The truth is, is we usually use that phrase when it's been the most ridiculously difficult day ever. And you have to look at someone and console them over the death of a child. When you have to address someone's sin and it hurts you as the pastor but you know that you have to do it because it's the righteous thing to do and you're hoping by God's grace that they will hear something that they too will join in and say I will correct my course even though we have seen many times when people may just get angry at us and turn around and walk out. We have to stand there on that ledge and say we are willing to do this because we love you and if it costs us all that we have we do it. And we'll look at each other and go, it's the best job I ever had. I think that we should take a look today at an example that's found starting in 1 Kings 11. And I think you're going to find some people, sometimes the best way to learn something is the way is to learn how not to do it. If you were here on Friday night for our Discipleship Helps class, we talked about repentance. Repentance Part of our explanation explanation of what repentance was was we tried to explain to you what repentance is not. It's not just emotional. It's not just words that come out of our mouth. So to help you today, we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 11. Tell you what, let's start start in 1 Kings 12. I'm sorry, 1 Kings 12, verse 1. (coughs) Rehoboam went to Shechem. Rehoboam is the son of King Solomon. Okay? King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him So these are two people leading. Two different groups. Verse 4, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days. How many days? Three, And then come back to me. So the people went away. So there's an envoy, right? There's a group of people. The leader, Jehoboam and his people. Go to Rehoboam and say, hey, look, look, man, it's been been tough. If you would just cut us a break, if you would just lighten the load on us just a touch, we'll be glad to serve you. You won't even have to fight us. We won't have to fight each other. We will willingly make ourselves subservient to you if you just relax, just a touch. He said, all right, give me three days to think about it. Verse 6, then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Again, the whole topic here is how to fine-tune our lives, right? We're going to get to that right now. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him And consulted who? The young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? Have you ever gotten to a point where you don't like the advice that you've been given? Do you go around and seek advice and kind of just find the one that you finally like? You realize we live in a world where everybody can be an expert, right? You don't have to have accomplished anything. Just start writing a blog. Just tweet it out. There are ways, there are books that you can buy on how to build your platform. And it's not talking about one of these. It's talking about how you can get online and have lots of people follow you. And the better you do at it, the more uh, able you are to draw followers, then people start giving you money because they use you as an advertising, right? Um, I have minister friends who this is what they build, this is what they spend their time doing. They spend their time doing this. I I have people who send me articles. Oh, this is a great article. You ought to read this. My first thing that I do, if you send me an article, first of all, I will probably read it. I will. I appreciate it. If you did something, I'm going to take a look at it. Let me tell you though what I do. I'm going to look at who wrote it. This guy thinks that tithing is... Great. Who are you? Oh, you're a professional writer. And if you're a professional writer in here, God bless you. I have no problem with that. Give me a pastor whose livelihood is depending on what tithing is, who's supposed to be tied to the the nature of what his sheep are. Give me somebody who actually understands it and lives it, and I'll probably be more prone to listen to it and agree or disagree. Somebody who, right, we're armchair quarterbacks, right? We stand off from the distance and we tell you, you out there on the field, (laughs) let me tell you what he should have done. That that uh, that uh, that guy uh, number 18 on his team. Look, let me let me tell you what. Let me tell you how he should have thrown that ball. Really, <laughs> since you've played at that level, since you can just go out there and do it, right? No, let me let me just tell you about it. Who are you getting your advice from? When you're trying to get in the Word, do you just Google what a passage means? Wow. Seriously, seriously, don't do that. Perhaps if you get in the word and you read enough, perhaps the God of all creation will speak to you and then you don't need Google. Perhaps uh, and there are that we are in a in a generation with plenty of resources, right? You can listen to whoever you want to listen to on their podcast, on their website. Fine. How about we quit going to everyone else for advice and we actually talk to the Lord and ask him what he wants us to do? But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. It's interesting if you get, when you get advice from people who you were over, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, that's a great idea. <laughs> hey, boss, that's a great idea. I'm sure it is. What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell, us, uh, tell these people... Who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. What? Huh? Uh, Let me just put it in our vernacular. Them there is fighting words, folks. You think that was tough? My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Yikes. So there's the advice. Whose advice are you listening to? Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people for this turn of events was from the Lord. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up. Who is this turn of events from? The Lord. It's almost like he can direct the hearts of those in leadership. It's almost like the Lord can harden or direct or soften a heart to move his people where they need to be. This is actually in fulfillment of God telling Solomon that he was going to split the kingdom. Took a garment Chapter 11, tore it into pieces and said, Jeroboam, you're actually going to be a leader of part of this. I'm going to give you part of this. You're going to be a leader here of part of this. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord. If, If you've been here for a little while and we're still... If the concept that conflict is actually good for us, if you haven't gotten that yet, then you just had not been around long enough. That difficulty we should welcome. That we should count it pure joy when we fall into various kinds of trials and tribulations because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. Whose advice are you getting? Let's turn to a few scriptures about getting the right kind of counsel. Psalm 1.1. It's going to be a little bit of a sword drill, a little bit of a Scripture lookup, so get your Scriptures ready. What kind of counsel are you receiving? Psalm one says this. It's okay. We put the, we put the, the Scriptures on the screen... It's important to us that you have an understanding of your Bible and you turn to it and you start seeing where it is on the page and it becomes familiar to you, right? Psalm one. That's why we're taking time to let you turn there. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight, everybody say delight. delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. One of the upcoming Discipleship uh, Helps classes is going to be led by Nick. He's going to be teaching us on how to read our Bible. I think that was, uh, it was, not. I don't think. It was very intentional for us to have Nick teach that class. Amen. The brother actually loves to read his word. It's a passion of his. If you want to come and learn how to read, your, read the word better and get into it and let it get into you, you're not going to want to miss that. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on His law, He meditates day and night. If you ever look at someone, if you ever spoke with someone, you feel like they know like literally every scripture in the Bible and they seem to be able to recall it at, an, at a moment's notice, I'm going to guess that that person has just spent a lot of time med- meditating on it. If you think it's because they're smarter than you, then you've just relieved yourself from the obligation of doing what the Word says, and you're wrong. That's right. If you think it's just an intelligence issue... It's not an intelligence issue. It's a meditation issue. If you meditate on something, I have friends who can tell me every statistic of every Super Bowl and they can tell me who threw the most yards and which game and what date that was and what the score was and I'm like, wow, that's incredible. So what? Amen. (laughs) Amen. 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 And my, family, and my family is going to watch the game tonight. We're going to have an, an event, but here's what we're going to be doing during the game. We're going to throw an event for our community. We're going to use that as, as an excuse. And we're going to talk to people as much about the Lord as we can because His law is what delights us. And in His law, we're going to meditate day and night. So while we're there, that's all that we're going to be doing. That's our only goal. We'll have it on, and our goal is to say, I hope more and more people come by. Actually, Lord, I hope the right number of people come by that we can literally talk to every person that comes in and share your glory. Psalm 73, 23. Psalm 73:23 <clears throat> Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into your glory. Proverbs 8, Proverbs 8 14. Proverbs 8, 14. <clears throat> Actually, let's start in 13 because it's just good. Proverbs 8, 13 and 14. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Shut up. We're not supposed to hate anything. Yes, you are. Apparently we are. <laughs> Apparently if you could be like the church at Ephesus in, Re- in Revelation 2 and one of the very things that they were commended for was hating the practices of the Nicolaitans. Hate. Everybody say hate. hate. <laughs> what did you learn today in school? I learned from past- er, in church, I learned from Pastor Wade that I should hate things. <laughs> yes. Yes, you should. Because to fear the Lord is to hate evil. if you have gotten off base and you need an adjustment to think in such a simplistic, elementary way that God is only love and there is no hate, that love equals good and hate equals bad, then I'm going to readjust your thinking today. And if there's evil around you, I can assure you that if there were any single man or any group of men that come and try to hurt my family, somebody's going to lose their life. It very well may be me, but I'm going to hate the evil as it comes, and I'm going to do my best. I would be willing to give my life, not go, hey, I mean, who am I to judge you guys? No, you've already, you're, already, you're standing condemned right now. We'll go with it from the Lord's perspective. <laughs> I'll give you a chance. <laughs> I'll give you a chance to surrender right now. How's that? All of you. You're going to come against my family. I'll give you a chance to surrender right now and you can walk away. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. Amen. Come on, this should be shaping the way we're thinking. Proverbs fifteen twenty-two. Actually, I made a mistake. Uh, it's 22 that we're going to read. I, I just made a mistake when I was looking down. I looked at 12 instead of 22. It says, A mocker resents correction. He will not consult the wise. It actually fits as well. But Proverbs 15, 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Have we gotten the point yet? Who are you listening to? You listen to somebody that doesn't know anything about it? If so I'm going to try to get financial assistance to learn how to plan better, I'm probably not going to go to somebody who's working out of a tent on the side of the road. Let me go to somebody who's actually done it and who can help direct me. If I'm going to go to someone to learn more music, I'm going to go to someone who's accomplished something and has the skill that I'm asking them for. Not only do we need counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23, and we're going to talk about a different type of counsel. They sound the same in our English language. You could say counsel or counsel. And one is what you give or what you receive from someone. And another is the group of people, is the group, the counsel. We're not standing and receive counsel from the wicked. But look at what this says in Jeremiah 23 and verse 16. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep on saying to you, to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say no harm will come to you. If we as a church say blanket things like, hey, you're all okay. We're being false prophets who are actually pushing you away from the truth of correcting your life. We actually don't love you. We actually don't love the Lord because what we do is we love ourselves and our, we love the sound of our own voices. We love the counsel that we give. We love the idea that we will be on the council somewhere. But which of them has stood in the council of the Lord? That's what we're trying to do is we're trying to stand in the very heavenly realms. Spiritually speaking, we want to stand there exactly where the Lord is, hear from his word, and deliver it to anyone who's around us. Whether we're in this building or whether we're living out, whether we're at our work, whether we're at H E B, wherever we are, which of them has stood in the council of the Lord? You know what that means? Here's what here's what I take that as. Lord, I want to stand in your counsel. I want to stand where Your wisdom is, where where Your sevenfold Spirit gives us the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. Lord, would You show me what You see? Who has listened and heard His Word? Verse 19, See the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until He fully accomplishes the purposes of His heart. In days to come you will understand it clearly. Clearly, I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. Goodness gracious, does that not sound like our our day and time that we live in? If you substitute prophets for experts, if you substitute prophets for pastors, if you substitute prophets for anything else that you'd like to substitute it for, you can see that it is our day and time. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message, I did not speak to them yet they have prophesied but if they had stood in my counsel they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have not turned them and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds <laughs> am I only a god nearby declares the lord am i am not and not a god far away can anyone hide in secret places so that i cannot see him declares the lord do I not fill heaven and earth? The counsel that we should be getting is not just running here and fro. We're running from here to there to try to hear what everybody else has to say instead of us hearing from the Lord. There is a great and godly counsel. It could be very helpful. But you know what? You still have to learn how to hear from the Lord. Let's go back to First Kings chapter 12. So Rehoboam is here. He's picking and choosing which counsel he wants to listen to. And why is, he, why is he falling into sin here? Why is he falling into error? The bottom line for Rehoboam is that he's greedy. What is he trying to do? He's trying to amass more of his kingdom. He's trying to keep things for himself. Can I put it this way? He feels like he's destined for more. What about us today? If I say greed, I can read you 15, 20, 50 Scriptures on greed. And we will all shake our head up and down each and every time, yes? We know that we're not supposed to be greedy. If anybody in here doesn't know that, it's probably just because you've never been in church before and, and we'd be glad to walk you through Scriptures on that. What if I put it like Rehoboam thought he was destined for more than what God had actually assigned to him. Are you greedy when it comes to the fact that you think that where God has you now that you need to go ahead and fight for more? Are you fighting for more in your walk? What would that look like? Uh, Maybe that looks like the fact that uh, if someone in this church tells me something... I smile to your face, but I rail you behind your back. Maybe um, if if someone is entrusted in leadership over me, maybe I really don't want to follow them because the truth is is they just don't really see. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I'll do that. But maybe they just actually don't know how great I am. There are people here I'm not talking somewhere else. I'm talking people here who need this word today. If you've got a problem with somebody here, even on this stage, I don't, I don't actually know anybody particularly, by the way. I don't necessarily have any specific person in mind. I'm just telling you what I'm feeling. If you can look at the leadership in your life and your first presumption is that they're always wrong, are always wrong. I can't believe that my husband is doing this. I can't believe that this church is doing this. I can't believe that this is going on. Let me encourage you. It's time for a fine adjustment in your heart. Amen. It's time, lest you start looking more like Rehoboam than one of actual God's people. Lest you start looking this idea for destined for more. More of What? more of yourself more of the pattern that got you wherever you are now more of men's accolades what is it that you're trying to get more of what what is it that you want do you, do you want the microphone okay what would that do it still wouldn't satisfy you because the fact the problem with greed is that you always want more of it. There's actually a lack of satisfaction because you're saying, "How much? How much is enough?" Proverbs thirty has some really neat um, and interesting things. There are there are three things that never have enough, and four things that the grave, uh, uh, a parched land, a fire consuming. There's what what is enough for a fire? Can a fire ever just go, nope, I'm fine. As long as it's burning, it's greedy for more. A fire. I'm going to tell you that if God gave you everything that you wanted, it would kill you this month. If you're being greedy in your heart, and you may, not, you may look at it and go, I, I don't have a problem with financial greed. I'm not just talking about financial stuff. I'm saying if you think that you've got more and no one else is seeing it and you can't submit to the authority around you, then you've got a problem that needs to be adjusted. You've got a problem. If every time Elder Bosch says something to me and I want to fight him about it, I've got a problem. If every time Pastor Matt says something to me and I want to tell him really how great I am and how much he's wrong. I've got a problem. Who do you keep fighting against in your life? I, guys, I seriously, I have 40 more scriptures I can show you about this, some of this stuff. I don't think reading every scripture in the Bible that talks about it right now is going to change anything from what we're talking about. Good word, Pastor. Measure your heart against the plumb line of God's word. Measure your heart against what he's telling us today. Measure your heart against the truth. If he has got the world fine-tuned to such a specific level, you think you're just going to be, think you're going to be able to be lax in your own heart, lax in your own life. If, if I can't handle the fact I'm just going to pick on Nick because he's easy to pick on, because he's mature enough, he's, it's not going to be a problem. If I get jealous of somebody like Nick, the problem is with me, not with him. But, but he's so much younger than me. and Well, clearly he's smarter and better looking than me. And Praise God. Praise God. I want Nick Ergene and his family to be 50 times a man of God I could ever hope to be. That doesn't lessen what God is doing in me. I don't need to take from him to make myself better. If I have a problem against someone here in this body, it's a sign of me, not of them. If you have been trying to, if you have a list in your mind, while we're going to go at it, let's just go at it. Some of you, I feel like by the Spirit of God, that you have a list of things. I don't know if it's a specific actual list or if it's just a running list in your head of what people in this church don't do well. I will tell you ahead of time, you are probably right. <laughs> I could probably add to your list. If I saw your list, I could say yes. Terrible at all those things. Let me add a few that you have not mentioned. But the problem with your list is it's, it's literally, God is going to use it if you don't correct it today. God was going to take this list and say, this is showing your heart. <laughs> this is showing the problem that you have in your heart. You're making it against... Pastor Wade, you're going to make it against Elder Charlie. You're going to, you're going to make it against somebody, but the truth is it's reveal, your list is revealing your heart, not what's wrong with us. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes sense in my head. I hope, I'm, I hope it's making sense out, out loud. Yeah. Be careful. Because God loves you, I believe that some of the words that came forth today were along the same line, and it confirmed this. It confirms this you're either going to let go of the rope and be set free from it or you're going to hold on to it and it's going to be an anchor. It's not going to be the right kind of anchor. It's going to be the anchor that actually pulls you down. Verse 25. Verse 25. Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in, all the hill, in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself. Everybody say, thought to himself. thought to himself. So, Rehoboam had an issue with greed and finding the wrong advisors. Jeroboam thought to himself, The kingdom will likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. Uh, By the way, in the chapter before, chapter 11, God himself told Jeroboam that he was going to have part of this kingdom. It was God's will to split the kingdom. Because of the sin in the past, he was going to split it into Israel and Judah. Israel would be the northern ten tribes. Judah would be the southern two tribes. Jeroboam was going to be in charge of the northern tribes. So, what's his problem? What is the line of thinking here? He's saying one has greed, because I always want more. And the other one is what? He's fearful. Is this not our plight as humans? If we're not happy with what God is doing, we either want more or afraid that what we have he's going to take away. So which side of it are you on? Are you the guy or the girl who wants more, and you can't be happy with what he's doing? So you've got to try to contort things to make it. You've got to try to push people down so that you can be built up. You've got to declare your greatness and get everybody to see so that they think something of it because you're always trying to get more. Or are you over here, like Jeroboam and says, you know... Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm just being logical. No, you're not being logical, you're being fearful. You're being fearful that something that God has promised and given you, that somehow someone else is going to take it away from you. If God has given it, who in this world can take it away? If he's put it in my hand and says that it's mine, I'm not at all... Why would I fear Why would I fear unless there's something here that needs to be corrected? Verse 28. (laughs) After seeking advice, well, there it is again. The king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Wait, what? It's too much for you to worship the way that the Lord has told you to worship. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. One he set up as close to Jerusalem as he could get it and still being in his realm, in his kingdom. I mean, hey, look, uh, Kim, I know that you drove 100 miles to get to to my house, um, but I wouldn't want you to drive, you know, 105 miles and get to where God told you to go. I mean, I'm just thinking about you. Wait, What? So we're going to get a place where God once met with us. We're going to get a a place that echoes of something that was really, really neat, that was really godly. We're going to get something that has a remnant, that has a a taste or a a smell, or something that just, oh, it reminds us of the good old days. But the truth is, is what this kind of fear causes us to do is never give 100%. We never give 100%. You know why? Because... But what if I give 100% and, and it doesn't work out? Then you don't have anything. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is a good church for you to be in. You know why? Because you're around a bunch of people who would rather fail by giving it all. I'm not saying that there are people here that I think, um, for the majority of people, let me, let me figure out how to say what I'm feeling in my heart. I'm not talking about the difference between 0 and 100%. For most of us in here, I'm talking about the difference between 98 and 100. I'm talking about 92 and 100. I'm talking about you're giving the Lord 86.2% of your life. Congratulations. It has to be 100. Amen. Amen. Am I going to argue with Prince because he's given 92 and I'm given 82 and we're both and he could feel good about himself because he's in 92, you know what? The fact is, is, he's still not at 100, and I'm not at 100, so the only thing that matters is, brother, let's get to 100. Yeah. What in your life is keeping you from getting to 100, Prince? What in my life is keeping me from getting to 100? That's the only question that we need to ask us. If there's fear, but, but you need to set the fear aside. You need to recognize it for what it is. You need to dial into the truth of God's word. Wow, there are so many things that I could so many scriptures that I can use here. <laughs> Proverbs ten twenty four says, What the wicked dread will overtake them. What you fear, what the wicked dread will overtake him, what the righteous desire will be granted. It's almost like he says, Whatever you hunger and thirst for, you're gonna get. Yeah. If you actually hunger and thirst for the Lord, that's what you get filled with. If you actually have this hunger for this fear, then that's what you get filled with. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee, though none pursue. I'll read it now. The wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as the lion. Are you bold as the lion? Is your walk with the Lord characterized by a lion-like pursuit of what He's got for you? Who's the lion afraid of? You know what the lion is called? The king of the jungle, right? Common vernacular. Yes. Is he the biggest one in the jungle? No. He's not, but he's still the king. Are you like a lion in your walk with the Lord or not? I think it was Talleyrand or something in the many hundreds of years ago said, "I would rather have an army of sheep led by one lion than an army of lions led by one sheep." That gives us hope as a church, is not it? If we're all sheep led by the lion, we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. Why don't you put your fear aside? Why don't you put all those things aside? Lest you get into a point of deception. Jeroboam said, hey, I don't want you guys to have to go too far. You know that immediately that reminds me of? Reminds me of Judas reprimanding someone came who broke... Of uh, this expensive um, perfume upon Jesus, anointed him for his burial. Right? And Judas says, "Hey, you should have sold that. You, sh- you should have sold that, and we could have given the money to the poor." And the Bible says it was not that he cared about the poor; it was about he was a thief, and he was stealing from the money purse that j- he was. He was the accountant in the group who was siphoning off funds, which is not what we have here, by the way. <laughs> Not, not that this is what jeroboam's doing he's saying i mean you know i just want to give you guys some more flexibility i mean we just want to have extra campuses so you guys don't have to go too far or something what jeroboam did was he gave people a different place a different priesthood a different building a different city We're just going to make it more convenient for you. The truth is, convenience had nothing to do with it. He was afraid he was going to lose whatever he had. Two more scriptures. Galatians 3, 3. I could have given you a lot more scriptures on fear or on greed or on all of these things. <laughs> but at this point, if you need to know scriptures that say don't be afraid, I, again, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you tons of them. I don't think that's the issue of us knowing. I think the issue is of d- us doing. Uh, I wrote an article for a, for a magazine the other day, and part of what I said was that we, we are a culture that is enamored We've become excellent at making commitments, but never keeping them. That's what, that's what my generation is known for. We can make all kinds of commitments. You ever walk up to somebody and they're like, man, how you doing? Especially Maybe not here in this church, but when you're talking to somebody at work, what is, what is one of the main things that people say? Man, I'm tired. I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm busy. So you're overly committed, so you're going to be, because of your excuse of being overcommitted, you'll be undercommitted at everything. I can't, do, I can't go over here and meet with you because I'll tell you that I've got to go over here and meet somewhere. But really all I've done is told this person that I'm going to go over here, and so I just go home and do what I want. Huh. God is fine-tuning us today. Amen. He's, he's tapping us on the shoulder and saying, hey, you know that list that you've been making? I see it. God sees it. Hey, you know that fear that's been consuming you? I see that, and I want you to get corrected in this. Galatians 3.3 3 says, Are you so foolish? Everybody say, so foolish. So foolish. Have you ever felt just really foolish? Yes. When was the last time that you, like, you turned red because you felt so foolish? I remember, I can tell you gazillions of stories because I got embarrassed all the time as a kid of things that would happen and, I, and my face would turn red and I would want to go, like, climb under a desk or in a closet somewhere because I was so embarrassed that what I had done, it felt just so foolish. It just was silly, said the wrong thing at the wrong time, couldn't have been any more disconnected from what was going on. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? You should be embarrassed. Why? Because that feeling, you know what it makes you want to do? You need to get up and do something about it. I'm not saying shame on you, you should feel that way. I'm saying if you feel that way, good, because it shows you that you still have a relationship with the Lord enough that He cares about you and says, don't stay that way. Pain is a gift from God. People who cannot feel in their hands or feel pain, it's a medical condition because they can get harmed and not know it. The reason that we can feel pain is to keep us from causing permanent damage to ourselves. If you put your hand on a hot stove, you know what God's plan is? Is that you have pain, so you will move your hand. Don't do that again. Quit looking at the pain and thinking that it's this horrible thing that God is chastising you with. He's trying to get you to move. Don't be so foolish. If whatever you started with the Spirit, don't now try to complete in the flesh. Psalm 139, Susan I think it's verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O Lord. Are you at 82% and you need to get dialed in better today? Maybe you're here and a lot of things you have going on for you. You know how to tithe right. You know how to smile at when Pastor Eric walks by you. Pastor Matt, you give him a good hug and a nice smile. But you got lists that you're keeping? you look at anybody else getting blessed in the body, you feel some twinge of pain in you because you wish that that was somehow you. And if they get blessed, it's somehow <coughs> doing what to you? I don't know. But that's the way you feel. I can't be happy for someone else to get blessed because somehow it's speaking to what I'm not getting. The Bible says to search me, O Lord. Test me, Lord. See if there's any offensive way. Lead me in the way of everlasting Lord, would you examine my heart? Because the truth is, is that we have to constantly adjust our lives. We have to constantly adjust. If you're at 95, congratulations. You're not at 100. <laughs> congratulations for being at 95. You need to be at 100. Oh, brother, that just can't be done. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I wholeheartedly reject any excuse that you can think of right now that would dissuade you from listening to what I'm saying, I disregard them all. Well, the only reason that they know the Scripture like that is because they're smarter. Nope, I disregard. I, I, I wholly reject that. Amen. I completely reject that. You know why? Because you're trying to get yourself off the hook because you're afraid that if you get in the Word that you may not be that way. Well, stop comparing yourselves with other people and get at 100%. Stop worrying about what you're going to lose. It's not yours to lose anyway. Maybe you need to lose it. Maybe you need to lose the things that you've been thinking you hold on to because maybe it's the word that came forth and it's a rope. And it's actually your bondage instead of the freedom that you think it is. There's a whole lot of deception once we give in a fear. There's a whole lot of deception. We start convincing other people and convincing ourselves. I mean, the reason I'm doing this is for you. I mean, I'm only trying to bring in reason to this. I mean, I'm just trying to help us. No, you're being afraid. Stop it. Can you put verse 23 back up? This is our prayer today. Search me, O God, and know my heart. (laughs) By the way, He knows our heart. What are we saying here? Lord, I'm not trying to hinder You in any way. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. How many people are driven, are consumed... Are overwhelmed with anxious thoughts at every point all day long. Lord, lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, would you show us? Would you show us how to do this? If there's an offensive way in me, offensive to who? Offensive to my brothers, of course. But Lord, if there's an offensive way to you, if I'm at 99% and nobody else knows the difference, I can still be offensive to my Lord. We're going to worship here for just a few minutes. If you hear the sermon today and you can excuse it away be careful lest you end up setting up your own altar and your own city at the own time at your own time in your own way and become a sin that for generations and hundreds of years, people referred back to and said, they committed sin just like Jeroboam. The man who started off being anointed in God's house for a specific purpose. God spoke to him through a prophet and said, you are to do this. You will be in charge of my people. Because of his fear, because of his sin, he literally became the model he became the tagline for what it's like not to serve god properly he started off like all of us would do with with plans of grandeur and ended up being the tagline for generations of how not to serve the lord would you stand to your feet